All right. Well, everybody's back in the back getting coffee. I love coffee. Uh, I do, but I'm just, I'm actually just drinking water this morning. I already had my coffee. But I also love food, right? You guys know about that. I use, I use food as an analogy often. Uh, but I love the summer because I get to get out and barbecue a lot more. Uh, and I tell you what, there isn't really a non-barbecuing season for me. Uh, I've got pictures of me uh, shoveling a, 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 in a 12 inches of snow just to get out to my barbecue uh, and, and, and grill up some meat. Oftentimes in a downpour, I'll hustle out there and wheel my barbecue to my sliding glass door, and I'm barbecuing inside with the barbecue just outside. You've probably done that before as well. Uh, but, um, and I think that that's really one of the very small reasons why I relate to this character, the food side of things, as well as many other things, both positive and negative, that, uh, that, that relate to the person that we're going to hear about uh, this morning. If you haven't been around this summer, uh, we're three or so weeks into wrapping up. Uh, we're like nine weeks into the series, but we got two or three more weeks as we wrap up this summer series and bring it to a close. Um, this series that we've titled Flawed, um, where we've been looking at uh, the aforementioned Hall of Faith. So if you know in Hebrews 11, uh, there's a list of names that are mentioned there of people who by faith, for the most part, if you remember I struggled through Samson a few weeks ago and questioned whether or not he had much faith at all, uh, but for the most part they had faith that they, and they did amazing things uh, through God. Uh, and despite all of the flaws that they had, each one of them, Moses and Abel and all these people that we looked at, all having their own flaws, but still God used them and they did amazing things uh, by faith. And like I mentioned, I love cooking. Uh, if you didn't know that about me, um, now you do. And if you desire to do so, let me know and I would love to have you over to my house. Uh, we love doing dinners with friends. Uh, I could treat you just to some red Kai tur- Kai- Thai curry is one of my favorites. Um, some deep fried chimichangas or a simple, uh, a simple um, a, a steak on the grill. Uh, for us, ribeye is my choice. Um, I love ribeye steaks. Uh, but here's the deal. When you come over, uh, either we'll have dinner completely done and you can't help out at all, or there will, will have been a discussion between Heather and I. Because oftentimes what happens is I, uh, I have in my mind how I want dinner to go. Uh, and maybe some of you can relate to this, and, and I want it done a certain way, and then Heather asks to help, and she starts cutting something, and then I hover over her, just watching how she's doing it and making sure she's doing it right, and then eventually it gets to the point where Heather says, do you want to just do it yourself? And uh, what happens is maybe she steps aside, and I, uh, and I end up doing it myself. So maybe you can relate to that. Some of you maybe can relate to that. Those of you are kitchen people. Uh, but uh, oftentimes, maybe even um, you can relate to it on a different scale. Maybe it's not dealing with food, but uh, oftentimes you find yourself wanting to do something a certain way, and it's got to be done your way. Can you relate to that, maybe? Um, or uh, you just want to make sure it's done, and the way it's done is going to benefit you the most uh, out of that, and you take it into your own hands, uh, or maybe you, you trick somebody into doing something for you that's just actually to benefit you uh, in the situation uh, that you're dealing with, even separate from food. Well, today we're going to look at Jacob. 
and uh, we're going to look at Jacob's life, uh, and we're going to look at the words that are written in Hebrews 11 about Jacob, and, um, and I think what we're going to get is a clear picture from Jacob's life, teamed with the words and recognition that he has in Hebrews 11, and I, and I, and, and I hope that it serves us well when we walk out of here uh, this morning. Hebrews eleven twenty one says, by faith, Jacob... When he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And I think for all that we know about Jacob, and if you don't know Jacob, don't worry, we're going to get into it a little bit. Uh, We're going to get into a lot of his life uh, today. I think uh, with what we know about him and what's written in Hebrews 11.21, in this focus on the end of Jacob's life, I think it's going to teach us something. Because I, when I first read this in Hebrews eleven twenty one, I read, well, man, you know, Jacob lived this life, and I, and I know I, I knew a lot about his life. Why would Hebrews eleven take his last little bit of life, his last few hours, maybe the last few time together, as they reference this, and and that's where they focused, which I think in and of itself, uh, him on his deathbed and what's said about it should be an encouragement to us. Um, and, and as we've heard about it all over the, all throughout this series, as we've looked at these people that are flawed, that have uh, their own short, shortfalls and shortcomings, uh, we've looked at these things, uh, some more so than other, as we looked at Samson and his entire life being falling short of what God wanted for him, uh, this flawed past. And we've heard it more and more that God still uses them. That God actually, in his book and in, 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 the, in the whole story of everything, chooses to use those people maybe more so than others that think they have it all put together. See, God is not concerned with how you started, but more concerned with how you finish. And that's just kind of an overarching thing that has gone through this whole series that I want you to have on your brain as we go through this story of Jacob today. God is not concerned with how you started, but he's more concerned about how you finish, how you finish. And it's written into the words of Hebrews 11 uh, and and the reasoning behind Jacob making the mention of these names, of him being mentioned with the names like Abraham and Moses. And so I want to take a look at his life. You ready? We're going to take a look at his life. It's going to be a flyby. We're not going to dive in because there's a lot in the Bible about Jacob's life. Uh, uh, and so we're just going to kind of jump through it. If you, if you remember last week, Derek was here with us, and he shared about Abram, Abraham. Um, and uh, I, I, you can call him Abe if you want to. I usually refer to him as Abe because we're good friends. Uh, but he was chosen by God. And if you remember Abraham, he was that backwoods guy that God looked at and, and said, you know what, if I pick him and I build my lineage through him, everybody's going to believe in me because not much would come out of it otherwise. And so he picks Abe, and as Derek shared with us, um, uh, Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Yes, we learned that last week. Uh, maybe you've sung that as a kid. But one of, Abram's, one of Abraham's sons was Isaac. And Isaac was the one, if you remember, that Abe took up on that, that father-son camp out that they wanted to go on, and he took Isaac up there and and God intervened, and then, and then uh, and, and both of them ended up coming back down the mountain, and it was actually ended up being a good camp out. Uh, went up there not knowing what was going to happen. 
But Isaac and Rebecca then have twin boys, right? And a side note here, when Heather and I were married, I'm doing a poor job. She always like, we were still married. We are still married, happily. Um, I always do a poor job because she always says, you can't preach a sermon without mentioning me. She sounds like that too. Um, Early on in our marriage, Heather wanted twin boys. She did. She actually wanted three boys because she nannied for a family that had three boys of her own. We had Colby, and she said she never wants to have another boy. Uh, Colby is not here today, so he can't defend himself, so I'm going to just pile it on. Uh, He cried a lot as a kid, all right? And so we had Colby. Heather said, I don't want any more boys. We had Avery, who was a perfect baby. Like, you lay her down, she could lay lay there for hours, and you wouldn't even hear a peep out of her. And then we found out we were having a third boy, and I think dread and fear entered Heather's uh, mind because she remembered how Colby was. But anyways, all right. So Isaac and Rebecca have twin boys. Uh, They have Esau was born first and then Jacob was born. And it said that Jacob was born grabbing onto the heel of Esau. Uh, Then enters uh, Jacob's love then for good food. Because at that time Esau was born first and because he was born first, he got the birthright which at this time was amazing. Like you got, you basically had access to everything. You were in line to take over everything and nobody else got anything. Uh, And so Esau had the birthright. And uh, Esau was also like a manly man. Like he was like go out into the wild and hunt and he went out and, you know, and he was the hunter of the family and was bringing food back for the family. And uh, Jacob wasn't. Jacob, Kind of a mama's boy. He stayed back, learned how to bake and cook and all this kind of stuff. And so, uh, which I love. I love to cook. So that's why I love, uh, I love uh, Jacob. But So Esau comes back from this hunting trip. This long hunting trip probably went wrong. He probably stayed out way longer than he should. And then he's come back. He comes back famished. Like he needs food. And Jacob's no, or Esau knows that Jacob was uh, that Esau, Jacob knows that Esau was out too long and he's going to come back really hungry. And so Jacob had prepared this, this just wildly uh, aromic soup. And, and as Esau entered into the house, he was like, oh. Man, have you ever been there? I never let myself get to that point where I'm that hungry. <laughs> but, um, but he had gotten to that point. And he entered into the house, and Esau wanted the food so bad that Jacob said, you know what, uh, I'll give you some, but you got to give me your birthright. And Esau was so hungry, crazy, uh, he gave it to him. And so at the beginning, at the early on, Jacob had tricked Esau into giving his birthright away. And then Isaac, just a little while later, Isaac is on his deathbed. And Rebecca, having a favorite son, which was Jacob, because Jacob stayed home with her and cooked with her, uh, helped Jacob to do this. So uh, Esau knew that Isaac was on his deathbed and went out to get a, a, a choice hunting meat. Like he wanted to bring back the best of the best of meat and prepare it for Isaac's, Isaac's last meal. And Rebecca was like, ah. Oh, Esau's gone. Now's my chance to even elevate Jacob even more. And so she helps Jacob. She says, Jacob, you know, go, go get yourself disguised as Esau, and I'm going to prepare this meal for, for Isaac, and he's going to think you're Isaac, and he's going to give you his final blessing. And it said, Scripture actually tells us that Esau, when he was born, came out red and with the hair of a garment, it said. So he was really hairy, and so Jacob put on a goat skin, 
I mean, this is a crazy story, right? Puts on a goat skin and goes and talks to his dad. His dad touches him, feels all the hair. And is like, oh, you know, it's, I, it's, it's Esau. You know, I'm going to give you my blessing to, to, to you in my final hours. And so they prepare this meal. Uh, Isaac gives that blessing to Jacob. Uh, and then Esau comes back furious uh, that Jacob had stolen this blessing from him and vows to kill him. Esau vows to kill Jacob. And so, again, Rebekah helps Jacob because she has overheard that Esau is going to do this. And she helps Jacob to flee. Uh, and, and, and Jacob actually flees to uh, Laban, which is Rebekah's brother, and goes and stays with them and meets, uh, meets this uh, girl there, Rachel, who he really likes. He's like, I want to marry this girl. And so at that time, he's got to put in, he, he makes a deal with Laban and says, here, I'm going to give you seven years of work. And, uh, and trade you for uh, Rachel's hand in marriage. And, uh, and, then, and then the firstborn who had tricked out of his, you know, his birthright and, uh, and his blessing all this, gets tricked himself. Because Laban then tricks uh, Jacob into marrying Leah, his less desirable daughter. Uh, and they get married. And then it wasn't until the next day that Jacob realizes this. Again, I don't know. It's written in scripture. And so then uh, he says, you know what? He's like, I really, I mean, Leah's fine, I guess. I want a second wife. Uh, And so there's another mistake. But he's like, I'll work for you seven more years if you give me Rachel's hand in marriage. And so uh, he does that and works and gets Rachel's hand in marriage. Jacob then has kids with Leah, uh, and then uh, he actually has more kids with some surrogate mothers, uh, a couple servants. It gets kind of crazy, uh, and then Rachel finally gives birth to Joseph, and the Joseph. If you don't know Joseph, we'll actually talk about him in just a second, but Jacob and Rachel trick Laban into some sheep so that they can go off on them by themselves, and they take some of the best sheep, uh, and then actually God, God tells him to go back and make things right, and he goes back and make things right with, with Laban, uh, and then Jacob hears from the Lord to return home uh, and fears to meet up with Esau, uh, but he literally wrestles with God in his story, and I love this part of the story, that Jacob wrestles with God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever wrestled with God over something? No, just me. I mean, I often wrestle with God over a lot of things in my life and the desires, ultimately, what, uh, what, what I want. And that's what Jacob's doing in this moment. He hears Esau's coming with 400 men, uh, and, it, and, it, and it, it strikes fear in him. And so he cries out to the Lord, and he says, Lord, you've got to deliver me from Esau and these 400 men that are coming. And, and you'd think that, Jacob, oh, you know, the promises of God, he's going to trust in that. No, this is what Jacob does. Uh, in this. He says this. He cries out to, the God, to God and says, hey, help me with this. Esau's coming with 400 men. And then he says, you know what? And just in case God doesn't take care of it, I'm going to offer my brother 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 EUs, uh, 20 rams, uh, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 20 male donkeys. And he, and he, and he puts them in the care of his servant. And then he, he lines up his servants to, to give these to Esau as he's coming in to be like, settle the score. Like Esau's going to be so mad and God's not going to take care of it. So I'm going to take it in my own hands and I'm going to give him all these things in a row. And sure enough, Esau shows up and totally blows that out of the water. Uh, he just shows up and is so happy to see his brother. One of the greatest stories of grace 
in a brother relationship in the Bible. He shows up. They have a taster's choice moment with guys. There's crying involved. There's hugging. And they hug it out, and they settle their score uh, as well. And then uh, there's a stirrup with one of his daughters in the surrounding group. God had actually asked Jacob to go back home. And Scripture actually says that Jacob settled just short of where God wanted him to go. Have you ever done that? Settled just short maybe of what God wanted for you because maybe it was more comfortable or that's all you felt like you could do or go and you settled just short. Well, he he settles short of where God wants him to go and he ends up losing a daughter in in the mix and this daughter gets mixed up and is defiled there and and, and it upsets uh, Jacob's sons and so Jacob's sons take it into their own manner and they kill a bunch of people and then God shows up again and says, you know what, I'm gonna protect you uh, from the retaliation that might happen. But Jacob, you gotta go back home. And so Jacob finally uh, goes back home and uh, upon uh, returning home, uh, he decides that, you know what, it's a pretty good deal that I'm gonna just kind of do the same thing that my dad did with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play favorites and I'm gonna make Joseph, uh, his, his son of, of uh, Rachel, uh, a Technicolor green, dream coat and uh, gives his favorite son this coat and elevates him in front of all of his brothers because, you know, I mean, that's just smart, right? I mean, uh, it's a good plan to do that in parenting. Uh, And so uh, he does that, and then uh, it upsets his other brothers, and the the brothers, you know the story, uh, you know, they take the coat, they rip it up, they sell him off to slavery and tell Jacob that his son has died, and it crushes Jacob. And Jacob at this moment becomes an old, uh, grumpy, uh, um, uh, bitter man. And so uh, famine then hits. If you remember the story, famine hits. And Jacob and his family are in trouble and they got to go to Egypt. And they find themselves in front of Joseph uh, in the risen power. And God shows up again and protects him in Egypt. And he gives uh, his people, Jacob and his sons, the best land of Israel. And that's Jacob's life. I mean, that's amazing, right? I mean, that's like crazy. I mean, as I'm reading through this in Genesis 32 through 40-something and on into 50 as we see the end of his life, it's like binge-watching a crazy TV show. Have you ever done that? I'm like, I'm just reading through this as I was preparing these last few weeks. And I'm like, man, all this happened in Jacob's life? Like, I knew he was Joseph's dad, and, and I knew there was some stuff in there with, with uh, you know, with Rachel and all, and, and all this kind of stuff. But, man, I'm like, all this happened to Jacob. But what do we do with it? Like Jacob made some poor choices in there. And there was, for me, there was one thing that stuck out more than anything else. There was one thing that stuck out that, uh, that, that I want us to kind of lean on as we look at Jacob's life. And it was an aspect that I recognized was going on with God the whole time during this story. But God actually shows up a couple different times in Jacob's life and speaks these words exactly into Jacob's life. Genesis 28, 15, he says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to the land. And I will not leave you until I have done uh, what I've promised to you. And then in Genesis 31, he says, then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives, and I will be with you. And throughout the story, God shows up numerous times in Jacob's life. And and in in these moments, he speaks directly into Jacob's life and says, I am with you. 
That was amazing to me. It was after all that Jacob had done and the birthright thing and the cheating his brother out and the deception and the husband of two wives and a favorite wife, the stealing and settling short of what God wanted for him, the jacket in front of all of his son being a poor parent. Uh, and after all Jacob had done, God repeats himself throughout his story and says, I am with you. Don't worry. Church, Jacob knew he was set apart. He knew the promises that God had promised to Abraham and to Isaac, and he knew those promises. He actually banked on them in his life. Like even in between making these poor choices in his life, he banked on the promises uh, of God. And a God, God appears to him in a dream. And in this moment, uh, Jacob, you know, kind of Jacob's selfishness comes out. And he says, he says, if you take care of me, this is after God at one point said, I will be with you. He says, if you take care of me, like if you provide me food and clothing, it says, and if you uh, watch over me, if you're with me, then I will do what you want me to do. And in this case, in this scripture, it says, then I will give back a tenth on this altar. But in overall, it's a, it's a message of Jacob's life. Then I will do, with, do what you want. God was with him, but Jacob oftentimes, even though he was banking on God's promises, oftentimes made the decisions and challenged God to do what he wanted him to do, and then he would do what God wanted him to do. But it really kind of sums up God, Jacob's life because he knew God's promises and he banked on them. And then even in that story, he physically wrestled with God over some of his promises and what God wanted him to do. I mean, it, 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 is that something you struggle with with God? Something you can relate to? The idea of, of desiring God to do something specifically of what you want and then maybe saying, yeah, if you do that, then, then I'll do or go or be what you want me to be. See, God says it all along in Jacob's life and he says it in each of your lives this morning. It's simple. He says, I am with you. I will be with you. Church, I want you to write this down. God is with me. God is with me. It's a blank in your outline. If you don't have an outline, think about that. God is with you. How does that change your life? Like, how does that change the decisions in, in the way that you live your life? How does that shape you? Like, think about it. Like, God is with you. Always. See, we discussed it this week in our college group, in our young adults group. We discussed this idea of, yeah, God is always with us. Like, he's, he's always looking over your shoulder. Right? And, and oftentimes, I think we can think about God that way. We think about God who's, like, looking over our shoulder and we better act right. Like, at Costco, when I worked at Costco for that 15 years, like, we, we all told each other, like, there was cameras in the building. And like Jim Senegal was watching over us, you know, like we, and we better do right. We better not, you know, like mess around and all that kind of stuff. They're watching. They're in Gene's office. Like he looks at us all the time. But like oftentimes we can think about God that way too, right? I don't know that, I mean, that's one way to look at it. I don't think it's the healthiest way, but I think it's very real. Like it might help us individually, but that's not what God is. Like he's not the God that's looking over our shoulder ready to crack a whip on us. He's a God that's like, with us like he's he's on our team 
and he desires to do the things in our lives the way, that he, the, the way that's best for us. Like, he desires the best for us. And he wants us to help to make those decisions. He's not like, oh, you messed up. You know, like, curse you. No, he's like, man, let me do this with you. Let me, let me do this life with you. Let me, these decisions that you're making in life, let me do this with you. Does that statement and the truth and the promise that God is with you change anything for you? It should. It should actually be the most life-changing thing for you, right? Because if God's spirit isn't with us constantly, then he didn't, I mean, he may have died, but he definitely didn't raise from the dead. Like, that's the truth that we believe in, that God is with us, alive and still with us. Nothing should impact you more than that idea. Jesus' last words, according to Matthew on earth, were where he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's our great commission. It's what drives the church on earth. And, and he closes all that up with Matthew 28, 20. And sure, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is with you always. Jacob knew that God was with him, but he didn't allow it to fully take hold of his life all the time. Not gonna make you raise your hand on whether or not you can relate to that. Because if you don't raise your hand, then you're lying, then you got other stuff you gotta work out with God. But God's presence is our greatest gift here on earth. It's our greatest gift. We cannot build or create or do anything on this earth that is more valuable than God's presence with us, right? Nothing we can build is greater than God's presence. God's presence with us should allow us to let go, should allow us to rest, should allow us to walk away, should allow us to uh, not, not have stress. His presence satisfies us in all situations and in everything that we face. He meets us in our anxiousness and gives us peace. Right? That's the feeling you should get when you stop and recognize that God is with me. He's with me. How does, this is a question for you. How does God's presence and his promises affect your life? How does God's presence and his promises affect his life. See, here's the deal. We get a good glimpse of Jacob's life uh, and the decisions that he makes in his life, right? Uh, the stealing, the trickery, the less than a loving brother, the poor husband, the, the falling short as a father. But throughout his life, he continues to trust in God. God reminds him that he is with him and to essentially, in all, in all the cases, to go back, to go back to where God had him and where he was with God. Hebrews eleven twenty one. I want to go back to that verse now as we uh, close out. Hebrews eleven twenty one. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. See, the Jacob that is actually within, written in the pages of, of Genesis, uh, that struggles with God often, 
the old Jacob, maybe the Jacob where God isn't necessarily present would have been on his deathbed and the old Jacob would have said, there's no way you'll be able to fulfill God's promises. God's promises were actually made for me. Like God and I had this deal and now that I'm dying, you guys are all gonna miss out. That's how Jacob might have thought. See, but God through the author of Hebrews shows us a glimpse into Jacob's faith in God. And I believe there's numerous things that we can learn from. And what I want us to focus on is is two simple things this morning. I want us to focus on two simple things that are highlighted by this Hebrews pastor. Two simple lessons from Jacob's life. The first one, you can choose how you write it down. It's uh, worship God. Or pursue God. Simple, right? Very easy. We can all do it. But we all struggle with it, right? Go after what God wants for you. Jacob made some poor choices in his life. He made some choices that afterwards, if he would have stepped back and he would have recognized that God was present with him and God was working, he wouldn't have acted the way that he did. But when it came down to it, and he went after God. And God reminded him numerous times by by Jacob's, what we know is Jacob's response for him going. And I believe it's something that he learned from Abraham. As we learned last week from Derek, Derek said Abraham went. He just went. And we were challenged last week to just go. And oftentimes when, when God showed up and Jacob recognized his presence, Jacob went. Which actually goes against what Isaac in his life and then at the end of Jacob's life Jacob stepped back he worshipped God the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac his father and his grandfather and the second lesson I want us to take away is to give your faith away give your faith away give it away it isn't yours share it See, there's nothing about the gospel other than when you first receive it into your life that has anything to do with you. Jacob battled with selfishness of what he would gain by what God would do for him. And God challenged him to go back to where he was and to go back and settle the score, to go back into his shortcomings and his shortfalls uh, to, to where God was present with him. And he gave his faith away, as it says in that Hebrews verse where he blessed Joseph's sons. And here's, here's the lesson for us as a church, because uh, oftentimes, today was actually a little light on the kids. We are blessed with many children here. And it's not even in relation to children in the church. It's relation to people who are follow, following you in your faith, right? Derek said it last week, we are the CTK with the most per adult ratio in children, which is, which is great in the entire network. But this is where it hit me hard this week for me personally in my life. What are my kids going to believe about faith and how God works? What are they going to believe? What do they know? I get little glimpses of it as they share with me. You know, well, why don't we just ask God for it? You know, or why don't we do this? Or God says this, or, you know, or even they... This week, as part of their children's lesson, they put little sticky notes on our mirrors that say God first as a reminder. And I've walked by those numerous times and thought, I mean, that's my kid's handwriting. Like, they're 
you know? And so for me, like, what are they going to believe about the way God's work, the way God works, and the faith that I have in him? See, it's recorded that Jacob blessed Joseph's kids. And there's a prayer written in, into, uh, into the Genesis story that, that Jacob shares over Joseph's sons. But he's also praying over his, his sons and his family to inherit the promises that God had. Because Jacob realizes that he's not going to get those promises. That they're gonna, it's going to be his, his, his offspring, his kids' kids that are going to get these blessings from God. And I want that for my kids. I actually, that's what drives me in my ministry. I want that for all of you, and I want that for all of the people that are going to fill these empty seats. I want them to inherit what I'm not going to inherit here on earth. And let me explain that when I say that. I want my kids to stand on the shoulders of us and go further than we ever went because they see my faith and what we've done or what I've done as a church and they want to pick it up and they want to run with it themselves. Like the people that aren't here yet, your children, you know, your neighbors, your whoever it is that you're reaching, the goal is, is after we're gone, that they will pick up what we've done and go further than we've ever gone in the name of Christ and sharing who Jesus is because we've paved the way for them to go where we've gone. And the hope is that they understand it and they've seen the faith so much that then they take it further. So what if, what if it was by our faith that maybe after we're gone, those that would follow us, whether it was our children or or other people that we've reached, that we've reached into their lives, that, we've, that those that we've passed our faith onto did more than we were ever able to do. And I'm talking about anyone that dons the doors, right? What if we lived his presence in our lives and our lives gave people the clearest picture because he's right here with us? Like we believe that his presence is right here with us. And it gave the people that are around us the clearest picture of him. What if the way we lived his promises out in our lives caused others to desire to know the same in what we believe in the promises of God who is and who he is? What if the way we finished caused others to pick up where we left off and go further than we were able to ever reach in our lives? What a blessing we would be and what a kingdom that would be grown. Let's pray.